1: Welcome to the New Books on Political Science podcast. My name is Heath Brown, and today I'll be talking to two of the three authors of Billionaires and Stealth Politics. The book is published by the University of Chicago Press in 2019, and I have Jason Seawright and Matthew Lacombe with me today. Jay, you are there?
2: Yes. Hi. Um, I'm here. I'm Jason Seawright. I'm a professor of political science at Northwestern University. Uh, actually, I'm sorry. I don't know what you're looking for here.
1: <laughs> no, that's no, that's wonderful. No, we're just trying to get just uh, uh, an introduction to you guys before we start our conversation. Uh, and Matt, maybe you can give us also the the briefest of brief uh, introductions of yourself, and and maybe also introduce the your co-author who isn't here today, um, uh, Ben Page. So I'm Matt Lacombe. I'm a PhD
0: candidate at Northwestern University. Um, finishing up this spring, and then I'll be uh, an assistant professor at Barnard College starting in the fall. Um, and our third co-author, Ben Page, is a professor of political science at Northwestern as well. Yeah.
1: Matt, this this must be the first podcast you've had the chance to introduce and, and announce your, your big career news, correct? That is correct. Wonderful. Okay. Well, congratulations. I have congratulated you in person, and uh, that is, is wonderful news, and you guys have written such an interesting book. Uh, the the preface of your book uh, explains some of the history uh, that goes into its writing uh, and, and talks a little bit about that at first you were focused on multi-millionaires. Uh, instead, you have focused on billionaires. Uh, Jay, uh, would you talk a little bit about why your original plan was foiled and how you devised a strategy to focus instead on billionaires?
2: Well, our original plan partly succeeded and partly failed. We had a, a strategy of trying to interview people in sort of the top 1% range of American society in terms of wealth. Um, interestingly, we had that um, strategy in the works about a year before the Occupy movement started. So while we were in the field, our, our research design took on a perhaps unwanted political um, tinge. We were able to do an initial survey of people in that population in the Chicago area, and we found some stuff out of that and got an article with um, well Ben and um, oh good grief, Larry, Larry Bartels. Yeah, Larry Bartels, right? How am I going to forget that? I'm bad at names. That's how I'm going to forget that. Anyway, Larry and Ben and I got an article out of that, and there was a plan to go nationwide with that same survey design. Unfortunately, interviewing multimillionaires in person is exceptionally expensive, as our interviewer um coordinator like to say that their gatekeepers have gatekeepers. So in order to get an interview with these people, you have to work through their secretary's secretary, and then their secretary, and then figure out which of their several houses they're at right now, and whether they'd rather have an in-person or a phone conversation. So the amount of work to get a completed interview was orders of magnitude more than a normal in-person survey. So our costs were huge. We went to all of the nonprofits and tried to find funding for this. And most of these Grant agencies responded to us by saying, Well, you know, this is interesting, but even if you succeed at all of this, you're still going to miss the people who are the most, most important and most powerful. It turns out that survey research firms, as a rule across the board, delete anyone on the Forbes billionaire lists from their survey samples. So every survey we've ever seen systematically excludes these people. And there's an argument that they're just an order of magnitude more powerful than the mere multimillionaires. So we wanted to turn to a way of trying
1: to study them. Yeah, and 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 what did you do? You you collected not uh, the information we might normally anticipate, uh, but but you took a, a somewhat uh, less conventional approach. And so, Matt, I, I wonder if you could talk about the the difference between what we might expect, which is to focus on things like campaign contributions of the very, very, very wealthy as a way to estimate policy preferences um, and the approach that that you guys took in this book? Well, so the general idea
0: was to try to infer the policy preferences of billionaires focusing on the wealthiest 100 Americans uh, by systematically identifying what they have said about politics in public. Uh, The the logic here in part is that these individuals uh, uh, are are essentially all public individuals, uh, meaning that they... Almost all of them have appeared in public, and if they haven't, uh, it's because they've chosen not to do so. Um, um, And so the idea was to, uh, rather than just looking at campaign contributions, which can be misleading insofar as some um, wealthy individuals may be engaging in uh, uh, strategic giving that is contributing to politicians they think are likely to achieve positions of influence, even if those politicians don't really uh, reflect Uh, their uh, own personal preferences, or contributing to politicians because they agree with them deeply on one or two issues, uh, but actually don't agree with them across a full set of issues. For all of those reasons, it's difficult to use uh, campaign contributions exclusively um, to infer what uh, wealthy individuals want from politics. So like I said, we instead, we developed a systematic uh, list. We systematically developed a list of, of, of keywords or search terms, uh, which we then paired with each individual's name um, in order to try and identify everything they've said over the course of about a 10-year period about uh, uh, both a set of economic issues and then later a set of, of social issues. Um, we think that the, the technique, or we feel fairly confident that, te- that the technique uh, succeeded at actually identifying uh, what essentially uh, a comprehensive set of, of public political statements made by we- these wealthy individuals. Uh, we validated that through some intensive case studies in which we selected particular billionaires for specific reasons for closer analysis. Um, those case studies didn't reveal sort of major statements that our our search procedure had missed. Um, in, that's the case in general. Um, um, and, and so, yeah, so that, that was the, that was the approach we decided to take, uh, instead of trying to conduct a traditional survey, sort of a, a a survey via web scraping.
1: Yeah. So, so Jay, you, you set out to understand billionaires, a group that is unusual, unusual in a lot of ways, before we get to kind of specifically what their policy preferences are on a basic level, who are these, are these people, um, Are they the people that I see on the subway coming to work in Manhattan each day or or are they different? Uh, What are some of the descriptive patterns that you found before we look at uh, what they've said?
2: Well, so descriptively, billionaires come from a few different sectors. A lot of them come from finance, a lot of them come from technology, and then a lot of them come from oil and energy. Uh, Those are the three main sectors where people are currently becoming billionaires. If you're lucky, you might become a billionaire from something your ancestors did. So we could look at the Mars family or the, the Walton family, and those people are in a different area. But that reflects a different time in the history of the economy. I very much doubt that you're seeing these people on the subway in New York or anywhere else. These are people who have private jets and helicopters. They they go out of their way, most of them, to avoid chance encounters with people who aren't part of their circle. Um, so descriptively, they are mostly men, mostly white. They live all over the place. It's actually difficult to nail down where they live. Many of them live in different parts of the the country or the world as the year goes on. Um, some of them live in their own hometown and are proud of it, like uh, Warren Buffett or um or uh, John Menard Jr, others have moved to Manhattan, like some of you know, the Koch brothers and so forth. So they are all over the place, but what they certainly are is isolated and insulated from from unwanted social intrusion.
1: No, no matt this this uh, isn't terribly surprising. Uh, I, I don't uh, suspect that I see many of these people on my subway ride in, though they may live in the neighborhood. Um, but what you find about how they behave is surprising. You use this phrase throughout the book, uh, stealth politics. Why does that aptly describe how billionaires voice their, issues on, uh, their uh, views on specific issues?
0: Well, so as I said earlier, the, the original goal was to try to uh, essentially conduct a survey via web scraping. In the end, though, I wouldn't fully sort of uh, 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 characterize what we accomplished as that. Uh, the reason I wouldn't uh, fully characterize what we accomplished as that is that, as it turns out, uh, many billionaires, uh, even indeed most of the wealthiest 100 Americans, do not tend to talk about politics in public. Um, Moreover, when they do, uh, they'll often give uh, sort of vague statements from which particular policy stands or even sort of general ideological directions uh, cannot be gleaned. So still, however, despite that, what we found is that uh, uh, most of the billionaires are indeed highly politically active. Um, um, almost all of them have made reportable political contributions. Um, the, the average amount they've contributed is over half a million dollars. Um, lots of them have engaged in, in bundling, um, where they, they uh, bundle together the contributions of others uh, in a way that's been shown to, to uh, provide Individuals with easy access to policymakers, they host fundraisers. Um, So the general idea behind stealth politics captures the fact that most billionaires are indeed highly politically active, uh, yet they don't tend to pair their political activity uh, with with public statements about uh, what they want from politics. Uh, Moreover, what we see is that the, the billionaires who do talk tend to be atypical of the group as a whole uh so the group as a whole is much more likely to uh uh take actions that would move public policy particularly on economic issues uh in a conservative direction that tends to clash with what with what most Americans want however the smaller subset of billionaires who do frequently talk about politics actually tend to favor, uh, uh, by a narrow margin, redistributive economic policies. So, the idea behind stealth politics is that 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 essentially, if average Americans uh, were to attempt to glean what billionaires are are sort of doing in politics based only on what what they hear billionaires say in public, they'd likely have a rather uh, inaccurate picture uh, of what billionaires are actually doing as a whole. So we call this this uh, deliberate attempt to, to move public policy in a particular direction without any sort of public accountability, stealth politics.
1: Now, Jay, the, the chapter on immigration offers what I thought was a really interesting analysis of some of these differences and some of these patterns. Uh, why is immigration an, an interesting policy area to test your theory? And what did you find about what leads billionaires to share views or, for or or even against immigration?
2: Well, so one of the things that we wanted to look at is whether it's true that for billionaires, we see more divergence between social and economic policy than we see for the general public. So for the general public, you can kind of guess what people's views on immigration are from their views on taxes and so on and so forth. These things tend to bundle, not perfectly, but On average, for billionaires, there's a possibility, maybe a likelihood, that there are right-leaning conservative policy preferences on economics and maybe liberal or maybe just representative preferences on social issues. Immigration is an interesting opportunity to look at that because it's both a social and an economic issue. A right libertarian on immigration will favor open borders, extensive immigration. We need to give people economic freedom or, more cynically, we need businesses to be able to get cheap labor. A social conservative is going to, as we now know, uh, favor restrictions on immigration. So by looking at billionaires, we have a chance to see, do they avoid the issue? Do they favor open borders in a way that, that fits with a right libertarian economic view? Or do they favor closed borders in a way that fits with a right conservative social view? And the thing we find is that overwhelmingly billionaires favor open borders. There was not a single billionaire who was very restrictivist on immigration. And there were many who favored liberalizing immigration, particularly for skilled workers, but in some cases across the board.
1: Now, Matt, earlier you you mentioned some of these case studies uh, that you put together in the book, uh, in chapter three. Uh, who are the the four that you you choose? And how do they illustrate the differences uh, in some of the different ways that billionaires participate in politics? So, so like, who, who did you choose here? So, we used... Um Jay's uh, case selection techniques, and the idea,
0: and and Jay can uh, uh, correct me if I misstate them, but the idea uh, when using um, a larger quantitative data set to select cases cases for closer analysis is to sort of look at uh, some odd cases. And when I say odd, I mean, for example, extreme on the independent variable cases. Uh, So in this instance, it would be people who made lots of statements or people who made no statements. The logic there is that the, the those sorts of cases are more likely to reveal potential measurement error. Maybe somebody made lots of statements because something went awry in the data collection process. Maybe we have somebody as making no statements uh, because we missed what they said. Um, And then uh, the 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 other idea was to pick um, uh, outliers, individuals who who our models would predict would be likely to say to be conservative, for example, but who uh, as far as we can tell are are not, or individuals who predict to be liberal, but who as far as we can tell uh, in our models. Are not. So, using this technique, uh, we ended up identifying four cases that ended up being, uh, I think, rather interesting. So, one was Warren Buffett. Um, Warren Buffett is, uh, uh, I believe, he was our, our extreme on the independent variable. And the, he, he was the person who made lots of statements. Um, um, sort of at the other end, we selected uh, uh, John Menard, who made zero statements. Um, and then we also looked at Carl Icahn and David Koch. Um, some of the, One of the most notable findings in the case studies r- regards John Menard Jr. So John Menard Jr., as I said, uh, was selected among the billionaires who said nothing at all in public about politics. So this was an interesting test of our theory. as John Menard, uh, uh, has, he, has he stayed quiet about politics because he's sort of uninterested in them? Um, and and not active in them, uh, or or does he engage in in stealth politics? Um, and as we discovered, he is a sort of paradigmatic example of stealth politics. He is highly politically active in politics, but he works rather hard to conceal his actions. In fact. In our data set of, of, of political contributions, he had made political contributions, but not extremely high dollar ones. But a closer analysis revealed that he has made uh, seven-figure dark money unreported contributions. We only know about that because... Um, he made contri- dark money contributions uh, uh, to benefit Scott Walker, uh, and then those came to light as part of a court case uh, in which there were subpoenas. Otherwise, we wouldn't have known that he was making such large contributions um, to conservative politicians. Moreover, uh, closer analyses of, of Menard indicate that, and, and this is something that both we write about and then Alex Hurdle fernandez who's also... Uh, Appeared on your podcast uh, has written about um, individuals who work at Menards uh, undergo a series of of trainings that are essentially uh, uh, ideological in nature. Uh, moreover, there have been attempts at Menards, I believe, since deemed illegal um, to uh, sort of disincentivize or punish managers if if there's unionization attempts at their stores. So. These are some of the sort of less visible ways, uh, or in the case of dark money, totally invisible ways, typically through which billionaires uh, attempt to move public policy in their directions. Um, But Menard, uh, like some of the other billionaires in our data set, does not talk about this in public, despite clearly uh, being uh, strongly interested uh, and active.
1: Jay, is is there something wrong with this? Um, is Is there a core problem that you see? In the findings that you develop um, and is it the same finding or the s- same problem that you anticipated when you started started the book? I wonder if you sort of maybe take a step back here and and sort of assess what what this means.
2: Well, no, this, the book really led us in a different direction than we expected to go. I mean, it became clear pretty quickly that the things people say when they talk about politics among these billionaires, is it's just a small subset of what's really going on. And so we had to move away from the idea of, for example, comparing the statements of billionaires in a rigorous way to public opinion data. That's where we started. What we ended up with was a world in which what billionaires say and what we can see when we watch the news is very different from what billionaires do. So we end up with a world where the politics we see among economic elites looks pretty even-handed. And the politics that's actually going on in terms of money and behind-the-scenes programs, funding for research, investment in um, political um, nonprofits, and so on and so forth, is much more economically conservative. I really wish you know we could take some of the things that have happened in terms of reception of the book and add these back in as part of the book. A nice example, recently there was a Twitter um, feed where um, Paul Krugman discussed the main argument of our book. In the comments, one of the commenters said, well, I mean, this is just ridiculous. There's no way that billionaires are as conservative as this. I mean, I look at the news, I see Bloomberg, I see Buffett, I see Gates, I see Oprah Winfrey. There's just a million Liberal billionaires. And the truth is, if you look at the news, you will see just about half liberal billionaires. But if you look at the world of power politics, liberal billionaires mostly don't spend a lot of money on power politics. Conservative billionaires are more numerous and more likely to spend. So there's a mismatch between the way people think class is playing out in America and the way it actually is. I think that's important. And that's a fact that Americans in general ought to become aware of there's also if we think in terms of democratic theory i think an issue which is that people ought to be accountable for their views and their activity if people are making major sort of contributions in influencing the shape of our political system in, a, in an important way, they ought to defend themselves. And I'm not saying, you know, we don't have to delete billionaires. This is, this is a question that we've been raised in, in potential essays for newspapers, what would happen if we deleted billionaires? We don't have to delete billionaires to take a step forward. We just have to ask them to explain themselves. People who can't explain themselves, but still play a major role in politics might be a problem.
1: Now, and Matt, maybe in, in wrapping up, um, one uh, uh, Jay just described sort of one one sort of way forward, but did these findings call for anything more specific in terms of a policy remedy? And, and I wonder, do you think billionaires would remain as stealthy about that potential policy as, as they do about others?
0: Well, I, I think, you know, I would say that the... There are a range of policies uh, or policy approaches that could be taken, some of which are more generally aimed at reducing uh, the influence of, of wealthy Americans on politics. But regarding the issue of stealth politics specifically, um, I mean, the best way I think we could put it is that we should get the stealthiness out of politics. Um, the sorts of activities the billionaires are, 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 are undertaking um, should be better known. So we, I don't, I don't know that we can, I don't know we can force billionaires to uh, do uh, media interviews in which they clearly articulate their views. But we can at least um, create a situation in which large sums of money going into politics um, are public knowledge, uh, because much of what we found is based on reportable contributions, and the reportable contributions look big and they look like they go. Uh, in a conservative direction, but if we were to know about dark money, it, the contributions would look probably orders of magnitude larger and probably uh, even more conservative yet and that and I think that that contributes to Um, the sort of misperception that exists among members of the public about what billionaires uh, want from politics. So getting the stealthiness out of politics by um, having all all contributions um, over a certain dollar mark being uh, uh, publicly available, I think would be a a policy step that um, all three of us would agree on. And I think would be helpful.
1: Yeah.
2: Can I jump in with something on this though? Yeah, you must. It, 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 it's, harder than it sounds to get get sort of transparency in terms of billionaires' money, because billionaires are really creative in terms of how they spend to influence politics. So we we tend to imagine contributions directly to campaigns. We now know that you can also do these other things where you set up PACs and super PACs. There are also educational foundations that are nonprofits and not political, which can be used to sway politics. Billionaires buy newspapers and television stations to change the editorial content thereof. We know this from Fox News, maybe the Washington Post. Billionaires fund academic research through things like the Institute for Humane Studies in a way that shapes potentially the content of academia. And so the, the ways in which politics are shaped by money go way beyond just the election season. And that makes this extra challenging.
1: Yeah, the, the book uh, that's very interesting is called Billionaires in Stealth Politics. Uh, the book is published by uh, Ben Page. Uh, Jason Seawright and Matthew Lacombe, who you've been hearing from today. The book was published by University of Chicago Press this year, 2019. Thank you both for coming on. Thank you. Thank you.